Law and Disorder, the podcast that gets real with addiction, recovery, and everything in between. Here, the 360 degrees with your hosts, Tim, Disorder, and Joe, Law, with guest speakers specializing in every field related to why you just tuned in. Welcome to Law and Disorder. And remember, recovery is possible. Tim and Joe, it's all yours. So today, we had the chance to speak at one of the local high schools, which, Tim, that was one of your goals to accomplish, one of your short-term goals. Well, that happened today. Dealing with kids is always kind of touchy. Do you, how do you reach them? How do you get down to where they, their level, where they can actually relate to you? Are you sending the message? Are they receiving the message? And it, it gets a little complicated. How did you feel about today's presentation? I thought it went pretty good, especially for the first time. I was excited about it. Um, like you said, it's been kind of a short-term goal of mine for a while. Uh, most of my 20s, I spent working at a group home for kids who had all kinds of behavioral issues and emotional issues. A lot of them have been neglected, abused, and so on. So I have kind of a knack for building a rapport with kids quickly and a, a ability to sort of judge how they're receiving certain things. But also I have a 12-year-old son now who's moving into that age range. So besides just wanting to connect with kids because it's something I've done for a big part of my life, because I'm just, I think that's where you can do the most good is with younger people. I'm just curious to see the kind of world that my son's about to enter into. It's, It's so much different. I'm 40 years old, so it's so much different than it used to be 26 years ago with all the social media, vaping, the availability of heroin being so prevalent in the community. So I, w- I thought it went really well. We did it actually the way it worked out was we had four different classes, which A, was a lot of speaking. It was more speaking than I expected. It's kind of a, it's yeah. the most speaking I've ever done in a day. Yeah. So you're looking at about, they're about 50 minutes each. Yeah. So coming up with interesting, I mean, keeping their attention for 50 minutes uh, teachers will understand that. In fact, there was a few jokes from the teacher mm-hmm. uh, about that topic. But these kids, yeah, I mean, we've seen such a a wide range of personalities, backgrounds. It was it was amazing to you know the one question we asked uh, each time when, uh, a new class came in was, "Raise your hand if you know somebody who's going through some sort of addiction, whether it be alcohol or drugs." And I'd say what it is about ninety percent. Yeah, every time. I was gonna say about eighty-five, ninety percent. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's mind blowing. And you know, of the other ten or fifteen percent, there's a good chance that they just don't realize right. that they know someone who's or, or some of them were just too shy to raise their hand or embarrassed. That's possible too. Yeah, and uh, the shocking uh, moment was when the one girl raised her hand. Oh yeah, yeah, and said that she just lost a brother to addiction overdose and it was what i think she said a little over a year ago no i think it was 2015 that's right so it'd been a minute and he was like 10 years older than her and today was his birthday yeah and here we come talking about addiction and recovery and that that was kind of a sensitive moment because 
you really you first of all you don't really know the kid right so it's very difficult to approach that but i think i hope we handled it right because she did come up she came up afterwards and she showed us a picture when she was uh younger she i'm guessing she was 14 15 16 and uh the picture she was probably 10 so she showed us a picture of yeah her and her older brother and yeah she was really eager to stay after and speak with us so i think I think we handled it okay. I think it must have been okay. Yeah. I think I think there's a certain amount of kinship that a girl like her feels when someone like me says, I have overdosed. I survived, but I have been in that situation where my life was very, very close, perilously close to coming to an end. And were it not for whatever mitigating factors, whether it was the intervention of a healthcare professional or somebody else, I, I was lucky to be here today. And I made sure she knew I kind of really tried to stress with her that I was grateful to still be alive. But yeah, that was heavy, man. I didn't see that coming. No, and that's what you walk into. You you actually don't know what you're walking into. These kids, uh, some of them open right up, where others you can tell they're holding back. And then once the, cla- the bell rings, uh, they will come up, the ones that are holding back during the, the class time. They come up and they open right up, and it's just mind-boggling sometimes. And you really have to be careful on how you approach those because, like I said, you don't know these kids personally. You don't know how they're going to react to whatever you say. Uh, how hurt are they? How disappointed are they? I mean, it's it's a wide range of scenarios that get brought up. Well, after every group, I think at least one person came and spoke to us, which I, I think was yeah. good. That was a positive. There was always a, uh, a, at least one student who wanted to talk a minute. I think, you know, you saw some of those kids, all the kids were like respectful, which was something else that surprised me that I felt out out of this, say, 85, 90 kids we had. They were all pretty cool. There there wasn't any one of them that seemed to be getting off on giving us a hard time or anything no. like that. And, and I think our approach, I mean, we obviously we brought a little bit of humor into it, given them both sides of kind of, you know, my, my perspective, your perspective. And with the humor, that was I think that was something that, you know connected us and they were we had their attention for sure and we can only hope that we each one of them was able to take something from the day and put it to good use and obviously we hit a lot on peer pressure and decision making process and that all tied into what they're going through right now Uh, one decision can completely ruin their life right and i i prepared zero for this which isn't to say that that i wasn't willing to but that I didn't know how to, and I felt that I was just going to have to go in and experience and experience it and adjust on the fly. So as we went along, I think I got a better feel to kind of how to sync up my message with yours. Mm-hmm. And there was that one point where I told them, you know, you you would ask them in the beginning what their goals in life were, and point out how drug use would prevent them from reaching those. And I would come behind you, I think, and increasingly effectively over the. Day kind of illustrate how that works that right. you can't have both worlds right and so here 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 are the cho- choices joe made here are the choices i made here are th- you know how things could be different and i think that helped crystallize it for them a little bit so definitely as we went along i think we were getting better at it considering i know you've done it before but me having not done it i thought it went pretty good i thought i'm actually really excited about continuing to do it again in the future 
so we can be that much more effective. Right. And the one thing we discussed was we kind of were kicking around if we should record it or should have recorded it. Uh, not so much to air it and put it out there, but as a learning tool for us is, you know, hey, what, what could we do better? Where did we lose some attention? Uh, where did we have their attention? What works best in that? What's effective? But overall, I mean, we did have some kids, they, they just, you're not going to reach them in that, in that setting. Uh, there was a couple we noticed that were obviously, believe it or not, they were high. Yeah. And, and that's when uh, I kind of hit on that. And that's about the, the one time that this kid actually looked up with his, uh, you know, glossed over eyes and, and it was so obvious. But that's when I said, you know, you think people don't know that you're using, whether it be alcohol or drugs or whatever, marijuana. I said, but we know, people know, they see this. And that's when you kind of jumped in and he actually kind of looked up and was like, wow, dude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but that was, you know, hopefully for him, at least he took that with him that, hey, you know, people know. Yeah, you're not fooling anybody. Yeah. One, uh, the teacher does surveys at the beginning of every year, and we stayed in the same teacher's class the whole day. So she does surveys at the beginning of every year, which, of course, depends on the student's honesty. But it's anonymous, and I, I would think there would be a, a good amount of honesty that goes into their answers. She would ask different questions like, "Are you have you ever tried this drug? Are you a daily user of that drug? And a couple of kids would, in that survey, admitted to being daily marijuana smokers. So with that in mind, statistically, over the course of the day, we saw a couple of kids who probably had smoked weed already. Oh, absolutely. Um, and then, like you say, you can kind of pinpoint them once you're in this world long enough, whether it be law enforcement or drug use. I mean, I can spot a junkie from a mile away. The part that blew my mind, my mind and the teachers too, I believe, was the fact that there are a high percentage of kids who vape daily, I believe, 50 to 65%, something like that. Yeah, it was, it was quite there. a few, but zero, zero kids out of over 100 surveyed smoke cigarettes every day. They think it's gross. It's totally something that's just phased out and become obsolete. Kids don't smoke cigarettes no, anymore. No, and then we, we talked about how back in the day there would be commercials for cigarettes everywhere on TV, billboards, and then we kind of related that to vaping because vaping is, is somewhat still new. And, you know, with cigarette smoking, they find out, yeah, it's the cause of lung cancer for the most part, and those commercials disappeared. So we kind of hit on that. And, and really stress the fact that they're rolling the dice every time they walk into a gas station or wherever they're getting their cartridges, and they don't know what's in it. Right. Um, it's far less regulated. Well, like we said, you're going into a store where the main purpose of owning the store is to make money. So they don't care what they're getting as long as it's selling. And they're ordering this stuff from overseas, which most of the time is China. Do you really think they care what they're putting in it if it's not regulated? Of course not. No. So their ultimate goal will also be to keep selling. So in order to do that, I'm sure there's some sort of addictive something that's going to keep you coming in and buying. Not long ago. What's the story? And I remember hearing about it in the news, but you know more about it, where multiple local students on the same day ended up needing uh, ER treatment because of something they were all vaping. 
Yeah, that happened. Uh, one of the kids purchased uh, something, and, and it turned out at the time we didn't know what it was, what they actually put in the vape. But they're all on the same bus on the way to school, and they, it turns out they go to three different schools. So the bus dropped them all off, and, and they were vaping on the bus, thinking they're cool and slick and all that good stuff. And we heard the first call go out over at the high school. They wanted a an ambulance ASAP for an unconscious student. Well, a couple seconds later, we get another call over the radio from the junior high school. Well, obviously, you know we have a problem. What are the what's the coincidence on that, right? So, literally ten seconds later, the next call goes out from another school. So now you have all these kids. There's five total that end up in the hospital, rushed uh, via ambulance because. They decided they were going to vape this stuff that I, I don't know what they thought they were doing. But afterwards, it turned out to be a marijuana-type cartridge. Hmm. So, Which regular old-fashioned doobie smoking doesn't tend to put five kids into the ER? Well, a couple of no. And, and the problem today is the THC level in marijuana itself is, is crazy compared to what it was back in the 70s. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could smoke like a quarter of a joint and right. probably get the effect of five of joints back then, you know right. what I'm saying? Um, so now they're, they're going one step further, and this is in a concentrated substance, and they're inhaling this in a, in a almost liquid form into their lungs. And, and you really have to wonder, what would make someone do that? I mean, not knowing what they're doing. They know this stuff comes from overseas. They know that it's just put out there to make money but yet they still go in and get this stuff they have people buy it for them and blows my mind the peer pressure nature of what we talked about was something i spent a lot of time thinking about too throughout throughout the day peer pressure of course contributed to my initial smoking marijuana at that age i was just trying to keep up with some of my best friends at the time they started smoking so i did too nevertheless when we're up there talking to them I know that at that age, my initial, my like natural instinct would be to disregard whatever was being said to me by these speakers coming into the the classroom, right? Oh, absolutely. That they're probably just some bullshit propaganda that they're trying to scare me into not using. So it definitely, I think it's going to be a challenge to reach these kids, but when you go through 80 or 90 of them i do believe like we we have the ability to at least at least get to a couple yeah um and it's motivating it's kind of a challenge it's kind of like putting a puzzle together i kept thinking like how how am i going to get through to these kids what joke can i tell to keep their attention what story can i share from my past that might open their eyes up right and there was a lot of things that we did do that i believe got their attention and kept it uh the one time when you pulled out your phone and put it on speakerphone and you dialed in to see if you were if it was your lucky day Mm -hmm. um to go drop yeah that was for i think for them that was like it was very real you know it was something that i think surprised them just how raw i was getting as far as that goes because but they were so anxious to get the answer to yeah it was suspenseful (laughs) for them right yeah yeah like both of you like like just as if it were you calling every day, like, do I got to go in or do I not? And then yeah. you're waiting for that 
that respond automated response. Right, you call into this automated system, uh, and it just says basically you either have to report or you don't. But yeah. when I put that on speaker and let them kind of participate in that process, I think it was really eye opening to them. And the whole point of doing that was me trying to explain to them some of the uh, the just the different variables in my life now, how the results of the mistakes I made, the, but how they're also positives and the accountability that they're putting in my life is important. Right. And and we also tried to show them between describing that process along with the drug court reporting and in the hearings. And then you have the once a month you have to go get your Vivitrol injection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How, how time consuming that is on your end. I mean, you work full time, you have your son and the stuff just keeps adding on, so it becomes at some point extremely stressful. Yeah, it can be. Sometimes I don't think the people that are in drug court, the judge, the prosecutor, the defense attorney, the social workers, all that, sometimes I don't think they realize that the demands that they place on us can be counterproductive. I think, again, that accountability is important, and I'm grateful for it, but there are times where where I'm overwhelmed by it, and I feel like I don't have enough time to myself. Everybody wants a piece of me. You know, my job, my family, the criminal justice system. It, it, it is a lot. Um, I was recently told that because I have a 12-year-old, they're going to sign me up for a parenting class. And frankly, I'm pretty salty about it. I'm not. I don't think I need it. I don't think they're paying attention to me as an individual if they think that I do. It's all just based on the idea that I have a 12-year-old. Again, I think it's well-intentioned and and they mean well by it, but it's another example of them not taking the time that they could take to really get to know me and get to know each individual. In Flint or in Port Huron, uh, there are a lot of people in these specialty courts. They have 70, 80 people and more, but ours has like five or six at a time. Right. And I feel like they could invest more time into us individually than they do. I don't normally mind, but when they throw me a curveball, like one night for the next six weeks on top of everything else you're going to have to do, you're going to go to a parenting class. And I'm egotistical enough to think, I could teach your parenting class. I don't need this parenting class. What I need is the freedom to go to the rec center or to go home and watch Netflix once in a while. Right, right. Those kids, I think that was an eye-opener for them, that how much control you kind of give up, you know, and and that was all a a consequence of, but also a benefit of, recovery. And and for them, that was an eye-opener because (laughs) they they can't imagine not being able to play their video games for three, four hours a day. Right. Um, they can't imagine not being able to be on social media for hours. Mm-hmm. They can't imagine this stuff. And for them, it was a big eye-opener that, yeah, there's that much control over your life. And at some point when you came out and said, but you appreciate it in, in certain aspects because of the oversight, that blew their minds because they were, I watched the facial expressions. And I, and I like to say that's one thing that we have in common, one of the skills we'll say of being an addict and being in law enforcement is you can read people mm-hmm. you can you 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 spend a lot of time reading people's mm-hmm. body language right. uh trying and obviously for different reasons right <laughs> almost opposite reasons <laughs> yeah but, but at the same time in law enforcement uh we do 
use that to manipulate people to calm the situation sure. down out on the, you know out on the street. Right, right, yeah. right. Yeah. Manipulate to good ends, right? Right, and and I think with that we were able to deliver that message effectively. Um, and I know the last one we kind of came really out of the shell and, right. and went really comical with it. But yet we were still structured enough to where they were, they, we had every one of them. And that was the largest class. For sure. Yeah. yeah. And every one of them, we had the attention like 100%. Yeah. And they were laughing. And, yeah. you know, you, it's, I think you got to read the room. I think it's like probably comparable to being a stand up comedian. Our goal isn't to do stand up comedy, but you do kind of need to know who your audience is, whether it's going to be more effective just giving it to them straight and being serious or whether you need to lighten the mood a little bit. But I think we can agree, going in with a PowerPoint presentation, sounding like, uh, you know, just blah, 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 it, that's the stuff they see and hear every single day. Right. It would have been like just another class if we had bar graphs and pie charts. I don't think it matters so much whether you're trying to be funny or you're trying to be serious as long as you're trying to be real. Right. We're just, and that's not something I'm trying to say to pat myself on the back and you know, sound like I deserve some street cred, but just I'm trying to be a genuine human being, an honest, forthcoming human being with these kids so that they can connect with me. Because that's, I believe, all people have a sense of when somebody's being truthful with them and whether they're full of shit, frankly. I think we all have kind of an intuition for that. Some of us have honed it more so than others. But when you get up in front of a group like that, if you're, if you're just sharing material, or information without injecting the human element into it, you're not gonna. They're not gonna connect as much. They're not gonna learn as much. Right. And you you just mentioned um, the honesty, and I think with us being like open, honest, and direct, the message though what we we're trying to get across too was you can't uh, fall to you know a victim to peer pressure, and then not be honest with yourself, and blame it on someone else. You, know, you can't go to a party and use and then say, well, it's it's uh, Shindizzle's fault. I mean, it's one of the terms we use, you mm-hmm. know, a joke around. But, um, yeah, <clears throat> so-and-so's fault for giving me the stuff. Well, no, you took it, right? right? Uh, you failed to make a proper decision, you know, based off of what your short-term and long-term goals are in life. You jeopardize that yourself. You know, it's it's not actually... The drug's fault is not the person that gives it to you's fault necessarily, but it is your fault for taking it. Yeah, and I tried when I would relate my personal experiences to take as much responsibility for them as I could, talk about some of the shame and the guilt I felt, and also how I had learned to move forward from those those feelings too at the same time. They definitely definitely need to hear that they're responsible for their own decisions, but... I also think we each tried to hit on pride, pride and and how important it is when it comes to uh, making the right decisions, but also, in my case, not having so much pride that I'm not willing to ask for help when I know that I need it. I told them I'm probably always going to need some element of help if I want to stay clean and reach the goals that I've set for myself now. I don't need as as much help today as I did a year ago or as much help as I needed six months ago. Because I am recovering and I am moving forward, but I still need help. As much as I don't like these drug tests, frankly, I'm grateful for them. As much as I don't like being court-ordered to go to meetings and therapy and all that, 
I'm grateful that I am. I, I whine and bitch about it some days, but I wouldn't have it any other way at this point in my life. I know I need these things. And one of the interesting things that we asked each class was uh, kind of after you gave your, your story and and opened up about everything and, and where you're at right now and the, some of the things you have to go through uh, with drug court and all that, the Vivitrol injection, they, I asked them uh, a few times, hey, how long do you think it, it's going to take someone that goes down the path of addiction to get back to where they were prior to? <laughs> Some and kids would be like a year, a year, a year, year and a half. And, yep. And and there was only maybe, I think, four or five kids that got it, that got it and said, yeah. never, never, never yeah. going to happen. Never. Yeah. And when, and I think that's another eye opener when it like intuitively, it makes sense when you think about it, even to kids that age, when they hear it, like, well, yeah, I guess so. But for me to say, like, no, I will never, ever be able to get back the time I lost. I'll never be able to do anything about the rap sheet that I've accumulated. And my brain will never, ever function the same way again. I will always be susceptible to this disease. I will never get to a point where I can say, all right, I can handle a beer or two on the weekend. Like, no, that shit, that, that ship has sailed for me. So... That was a huge eye-opener for them. It was. And like I told them, when I first started using Vicodin, when I got a script for it uh, because of a knee injury in my early to mid-20s, I didn't I, understand I don't want to stop it. I just want to stop you for one second because I thought it was very ironic that the first yeah. hour, yeah, the, yeah. The, the, the one girl, she came in and she had a knee brace on. Yep. And the second hour, we had a, a guy uh, with, a ca- yeah, with a cast on. So right. it was very easy for us to kind of go that route with the Vicodins. And, yep. and that was something where, you know, they could relate. For sure. Yeah. The girl, definitely. She tore her meniscus, whereas I dislocated my knee. Uh, we each wore similar knee braces. The, I mean, like the the injury, the seriousness of it is comparable too, you know um to her credit i guess she's only taking ibuprofen we i didn't ask her just like i didn't ask the the guy who had the broken arm Uh, we just heard that after the fact but i didn't know when i first started taking those pills all i knew is they made me feel better i had no idea that they were completely rewiring my brain chemistry no clue that there would be lifelong ramifications for taking those pills. Today, I think people are better informed. One example or one reason why would be the kind of things we're doing. I think there's a lot of groups out there and a lot of people out there who are spreading information and and resources and trying to help anyone they can. But when I first went through that, it wasn't such common knowledge. I knew you could become an alcoholic. Right. I knew you could become a heroin addict, but I never equated Vicodin with heroin. I, I had no idea how closely they were connected. I also didn't know what addiction meant in the big scheme of things. I figured it, even if you were hooked on something, you could always quit, right? Just like right. cigarettes. Right. You and quit it, and then you're done. Right. But, but, but people, you know, back in the day, especially when it first started becoming a, a huge issue, you start taking those Vicodins and then you start taking one more here, just as you were saying, and then yeah. two didn't do it. So right. three and then three didn't do it. And next thing you know, you're looking at a cost factor that you cannot afford. Uh, and then that's when people resort to, you know, extreme measures and go with the heroin because a, it's cheaper. And to be honest with you, it's probably almost it's better. 
Well, and it's almost more available. I mean, it's oh, easily oh, available. Yeah, yeah, it's way easy. Oh, it's yeah. not almost yeah. more available. It's 100% easier to get heroin than any pill form opiate, especially now. Maybe 10 years ago when the streets were flooded right. by that and doctors were writing scripts. Now and they were they're, candy, now they're, you know. they Nowadays, the they got the maps. They have all these different controls in place. Yeah. Doctors have been scared straight. They don't want to lose their license. Right. That stuff is much more closely monitored. So pain so, management is now the first option. Right. Yeah. So if you want to get high on opiates, the quickest way is heroin. For sure. Oh, yeah. Even though it's really not heroin anymore, it's like fentanyl cut with morphine usually nowadays or something yeah. like that. And and we brought that up too with the marijuana. Uh, that was, I think uh, the response that we got was not an honest one when we asked how many people think marijuana is okay. And, you know, that's a Maybe touchy like subject, especially. A couple. Yeah. Touchy subject to begin with, whether, you know, you want to go down the medical marijuana road or the recreational. In some states, both are legal. Uh, in Michigan here, it's, you know, both. But you could tell that there was only two or three in each class that raised their Willing name. to raise Yeah. Them. And I think that kind of blew their mind that, you know, even that's being laced. Or your story, you know, that's kind of where we always led into how did you begin. And it started with marijuana. Right. It was with marijuana. I was 14 years old. And the best thing I could say because I didn't want to give them a chance to have that debate whether or not weed was good. Oh, it helps my aunt's arthritis, yada, yada, yada. That's that's well and good. So to avoid those sorts of discussions, I just told them whatever it is for anybody else, it was a gateway drug for me. For me, it was a problem. For me, it would be a problem today. And I'm not going to speak for anybody else, but my personal experience is, yes, marijuana contributed to my addiction, without a doubt. And that, that, that opened some eyes, which told me there's more using marijuana than what it raised their Especially head. nowadays with <clears throat> it, just like it's, it, the stigma around it is nowhere near what it was when we were younger. Right. You know, you used to, back in the day, we used to have to hide our marijuana use. You couldn't. You couldn't flout it so openly. You'd show up with the Dr. Dre chronic shirt at school and they make you take it off. You know, right. like you couldn't get away with that back sure. then. And now you go down, you walk down through a mall and that's all you smell. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's that bad. Yeah. You go to Walmart. It doesn't matter where the you go. The word is you loud. Go, yeah. You that go to, potent weed yep. really hits you. Yes. But I think a lot more of those kids uh, were experimenting with marijuana than, you know, that raised their hands. I, I think that. Yeah. yeah. No doubt. Because it was proportionate a lot of them looked up when when you started off with how you started so all in all i think our approach was very effective and i can speak based off of prior visits to that school you know the demographics of the the students and whatnot that doesn't change uh, all that much right so i think based off of that uh, we definitely sent a good message today and I think it was received quite well. I think so. I think so. And it is, for me, a new experience. Because it wasn't just kids. It was teacher. And there were a few other adults. Uh, it was kids for the first time. All this speaking is new to me. I've shared in 12-step groups. And I gave speeches back many years ago in college. But it's been a long time since I've gotten up in, in front of people. I used to actually have a fair amount of anxiety when it came to that. I was willing to do it, but I was never excited to do it. And for whatever reason, as I've come out of this hazy 
drug-induced sort of coma that I put myself in for a decade and a half. I'm just all about it now. I just, I really enjoy it. You know what I think that it hinges on? I used to be the same way. I used to hate public speaking. In high school, hated it. Had to get up in front and read something, hated it. Right. Even if I wasn't looking at the people, I did not want to do it. But I think when you are confident and, and proud of the message that you're delivering, it makes it so much easier. And you really don't think, hey, what if these kids are going to, you know, spit spit wads at me or what, you know, the typical, you know, right. rebellious. So we didn't have any of that. We had the slouchers that think they, you know, they, they have everything in griff and they don't need to hear our, you know, our perspective on things or the message we're delivering. But those were, those were just a handful in some of the classes, there were, there were none of those. Yeah, one of the ways I, I figured out by the end of the day, uh, one measure I had for how attentive they actually were, was they had a better grasp than us on when the class period was going to come to an end. So yeah. they would start getting kind of shifty in the last five minutes or so of class. But in retrospect, all that did was call attention to the fact that they were pretty... Uh, they were all ears the rest yeah. of the time. You might have a kid or two kind of zoning out. I, I think we saw one sleep. I think I saw a girl sleeping through yeah. through one, which yeah. I called her out on when she woke up. But uh, yeah, no, I think I think they were I think they were into it. I think for them, it was probably better than doing math or whatever else would have been on their agenda. So yeah, definitely beneficial. And I think uh, it was a good time for us to kind of gel and kind of get that feel for how the approach, you know, should be, how it's most effective. And I think it's very easy to judge that looking back on things, uh, the reaction from the students, the questions. And, you know, some kids, some kids, they just didn't want to ask questions. Right. uh, Because I think. They probably them. had the same social anxiety about speaking out that we had. Back that could then. very well be. And, and you can't blame them in a group setting talking about a sensitive subject like that that is probably, you know, someone at home that, you know, because there was a lot of hands right. went up. Right. And, and that's an embarrassing thing for a lot of people. So it's hit or miss how much they're going to open up to us. But they were definitely, definitely paying attention. And I think uh, our approach was the right way. We could always end up doing that with somebody else in the future you never know if we'll have another speaker that could join us at some point or when we do other fan meetings that could be more of a group effort but i think one thing that i appreciated with you today and i hope whoever else we work with in the future can uh, follow our lead in this is whenever one of us would cut in interrupt the other um, or jump in it was never like Hey, you're stealing my the time here. You know what I mean? It was right. like a relief. It was like not not a relief so much as it. It just made sense. It was always like, okay, let me step back and listen, just like everybody else, and, and hear what he has to say. It was never like a competition for time. Right. Nobody carried the load. It was it was good. I think we'll only get better at it. Right. And and that's something that we're gonna gain with each presentation that we do. Um, I think uh, also doing this podcast helps. Yeah, it's I mean, going to help. It all works together, you know, or it fits together. Right. And I think uh, for us only really knowing each other for a month, um, it was, uh, today went very well. Yeah. Yeah. M- most definitely. You've been listening to the Law and Disorder Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and Google Play to get new episodes. Please follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, or visit our website at ladpodcast.com. Recovery is possible.